Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Well, hard to believe, but here we are really sneaking up on Christmas Day and that event of the Incarnation, the great divine condescension, as we like to say in the Eastern churches. In other words, Christmas, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, the nativity of our Lord in Bethlehem. And as we move that way, we look at today on Light of the East, the significance of Christmas and how we look at it in the Eastern lung of the church. The particular emphasis, as I always say in this program, the differences, as people often ask me, they say, what's the difference between the Latin rite and the Byzantine rite, or the Eastern lung of the church and the Western lung of the church? The best way I can describe that, sum it up simply, is it's a matter of emphasis. You know, what part of the diamond are we looking at, the many-faceted diamond that is our faith or the church? And depending on how you're looking at it, certain parts of it will be more evident or more emphasized in your view, and they're all legitimate. It's just that we need the couple, you know, the two lungs of the church to get the whole view, and that's basically how I would describe it. So, from the Eastern standpoint, the Eastern view of Christmas, we're going to emphasize a few things. And First of all, one of those things, as we celebrate today in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, we celebrate the ancestors of Christ. Now, last week we celebrated those—they were ancestors, but they were not so much his lineage, his genealogy, as the ancestors of the faith, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to John the Baptist. Now, this Sunday, prior to Christmas— we celebrate in the Byzantine Church the genealogy of Christ. In other words, we go through his family lineage, his earthly family lineage. And so we look back at where he came from and through whom he came from and how God worked through these people. Many of them were marvelous people and marvelous events. Some of them were not so good events or the sins of certain people. And God worked his plan through all of it, whether it was saintliness or sinfulness. 
And that's what makes the incarnation marvelous. But because we look at the ancestry of Christ, an emphasis that we have in the Byzantine church today that applies to us, because remember, what we do in church is relevant. It calls us to something, immerses us in something. It's not just history lessons. It calls us to look at our own lineage and to see in the people that came before us, the people that we knew growing up, to see in them the same thing we see in Christ's lineage, how God incarnated himself, how he worked through people. I like to do this in my own life personally, especially as a priest, because I often reflect upon the mystery of this priesthood that I was called to, this incredible honor, this privilege, this blessing that I am not worthy of. No one could be. And I often wonder, reflect upon how I got here, what brought me here. And this reflection always brings me to the people in my life, the people I grew up with. First and foremost, of course, my parents who gave me the faith, who brought me into existence and gave me the faith and raised me in the faith and were examples of faith, but also my siblings and my relatives, all of whom were connected with the church, people of faith, and the people in church themselves. So it was friends, too. They were almost like family. In fact, some of them I thought were family because they were so close to us. But what bound us was our faith, our connection with church. As I look back at these people, especially this Sunday, I look back at all of them and I see in them how God revealed himself to me through the uniqueness that was theirs, through each person, their giftedness. And I am a priest to this day because of those people. In other words, the way God worked through them, that he spoke to me through them. He spoke to me in a lot of ways, as he does to all of us. But this is a time when we reflect on how God spoke through the people in our lives, the people who have passed on especially. Something about when someone passes on, their lives become more vivid, especially the good of their life. Notice how we always talk about the goodness of people when they die, no matter what kind of person they were. We always tend to talk about their goodness because in the end, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, the truth about us is that we're all instruments of God. We're like stained glass windows, and God shines through those windows, and as he shines through each color of the window, that particular color reveals something of the light that shines through it. Same thing with us. We're all like little pieces of stained glass window, and we all shine in our own particular way, no matter what we're like or who we were. And we reflect on that, and we know that we are, in many ways, the sum total of those examples, those pieces of stained glass that God shone through, the light shone through. And we look back at that, and we marvel at how God worked through these people, and we thank him for that. And we marvel at how he worked through even their faults. Yes, even their faults, just as he did for Christ. So this is the first emphasis in the Eastern churches. It's an emphasis of family lineage, of the value of that, and how God works through that to incarnate himself. And I think to myself, imagine, all these people God put in my life and worked through them so that I would become the person I am, ultimately a priest. (laughs) It's true. I'm not trying to be selfish. I'm marveling at the wonder of it because I know that. I can see. I can go right through the people of my life. I can remember them and their examples, especially what I call the church people, the people I know and admire that were part of church because church was so much a part of my family and my life growing up. 
And I look at them and I think I can point to how they inspired me, how they contributed to this sense of God that I developed, this image of God, this falling in love with God, so much so that I wanted to make a total gift of myself to God and to serve his people. A little personal note just to illustrate this further. When I was a seminarian studying in Rome during the time of St. John Paul II, my bishop told me that he wanted me to be ordained by the Pope. And he said, it's a, you know, Tom, it's a singular honor to be ordained by the Pope. I said, yes, Bishop, it is. And I am very honored that you asked me. But if I may be so bold and in all humility at the same time, I asked him, I'd rather have you ordain me, Bishop. You, my Bishop, in my home parish with my family and the people that I love that I knew brought me to this point, who have been praying for me, who inspired me, it is those people to whom I want to witness. It is those people in front of them I want to be the fruit of their faith, and I want them to see it. And my bishop complied. I could see he winced a bit. I hope I didn't hurt his feelings or whatever because he was trying to bestow an honor upon me, and I appreciated that. He was very kind to me. But he consented, and I'm happy that he did that being ordained by St. Pope John Paul II would have been marvelous for me, certainly a singular honor. And especially now I could say, well, I was ordained by a saint. I could say that, couldn't I? But what was more important to me was to be ordained by a bishop who was part of my life, known by my family, was one of those many people that were a part of my becoming a priest. And I wanted to be ordained in front of the many people that were a part of my becoming a priest. So I had a profound sense, as we're called to have today in the Byzantine Church, of my lineage. And by that I mean not just bloodline, but also I mean friends, family, that were relatives, friends of relatives, friends of family, that were all like family to me. And you know what made them all family, whether they were blood relations or not? We were bound as family in the church, in the liturgy of the church. I think of those people, and I think of them as people I knew from and in the church. And this is a marvelous thing, a marvelous testimony about the power of church, of liturgy, of that community, and above all, of the Eucharist, that we could be bound so intimately that people who are not even related to us can be seen as family, can be just as influential as family members. And this can only happen in the life of the church, the mystery of the church, of our faith, and in particular in the Eucharist. So I hope that today and for the next several days, you will look back, especially as we maybe are looking at our guest list of who we're going to invite over for Christmas Day or Christmas Eve and so on, for the holy days. They call them the holidays in the world. They're really holy days. Who are we going to invite? Who are we going to send Christmas cards to? Who are we going to call? Who are we going to look up and visit? As we go through all of that, think of those people. Think of the people, especially in the past, or maybe are now deceased, and thank God for them. Think of how God shone through them even in their weaknesses, even in their sin, but mostly in their goodness. 
And those people probably didn't even know what they were doing for you or for me. They were just being who they were. And God was shining through them in a way that inspired us. Go back as we're doing in the church, as I do, especially this time every year. Remember them. This is what the church does. We remember and thank them. Thank God for them. And realize that you are, I am, we're all indebted to those that came before us. And we see that even with Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus Christ is indebted to those who came before him. His biological lineage of his earthly existence and also his lineage in the faith. The prophets, the patriarchs, the great ones that came before him. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. What is a saint anyway? Although I was imprisoned for seven years during a terrible persecution of the church under the pagan Roman emperor Diocletian, I'm one of the first saints honored not because I suffered a bloody martyrdom like St. Peter or St. Paul. I was called a saint because people began to say, Nicholas loves Jesus so much that you can see a lot of Jesus in him. And that's what a saint is, someone who wants to become more and more like Jesus, who is the light of the world each and every day of our lives. One day when a class of parochial school students were in church, their pastor asked the assembly of children, what is a saint? Then a first grade girl pointed up to a stained glass image of a saint saying, saints are those people who let the light in. And so as we celebrate the birth of Christ, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We are at the Sunday before Christmas, the birth and nativity of our Lord, and we're talking about our heritage, genealogy, the genealogy of Christ, the genealogy of Christ, and the genealogy of ourselves. Because remember, the scriptures, the liturgy of the church is our story today. It is timeless. It's not just history. It is that, but it's more than that. And we look back on those who have been in our lives as we look back on the people who were in the life of Christ, both biologically and by faith, and we are mindful of how they contributed towards who Christ was and also who we are. Another emphasis in the Eastern Church at this time is on the actual reality of what happened. 
There's a lot of emphasis in our culture, in our world, in the celebration of Christmas, in most areas, on the babe in the manger, the baby Jesus. That is very much a part of it. Yes, absolutely. And it's a charming part of it. You know, I think of the scenes, the Christmas cards, the innocence, the light emanating from the Christ child in the manger. Very much a part of it. But why is the baby itself important? The fact that Christ was a baby. It's not the baby in itself. We don't stop there. Christmas is not about a sentimental, cute, and sweet celebration. It's about the fact that God became fully human, which means he had to start out as a baby. He started out as a baby in the womb, in fact. He developed in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The big difference is, though, he was conceived not by St. Joseph, his foster father, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was divine, but he took on human nature, human nature he received from his mother, Mary. That's why in the icons, she wears a deep red color. It's an earthy color. It's mindful of the fact that she gave her earthly nature to Christ, her human nature. So he is God and man. And the incarnation, is, and this is the word we use, the incarnation means that God, who was invisible, uncontainable, infinite, ineffable, immeasurable, bigger than the universe. He became visible precisely by taking on flesh, matter. In other words, his own creation. The creator, as we say, became the creation while remaining the creator. So the incarnation is something that is very comprehensive, very replete, He not only took on our nature and started out as a baby, because that's what human nature does. It starts out as a baby, so Christ started out as a baby. So it's important to note the baby, yes. But the baby points to the fact that he was taking on our nature in his completeness. Everything about our nature, except sin. So this is what we sing in the liturgical text for today. We say this, Today heaven and earth unite, for Christ is born. Today, God came to earth in the flesh, and the human race was lifted up to the heavens. Today, for the sake of all, he is seen in the flesh, the one who by nature is invisible. Let us glorify him, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, which your coming has bestowed on us, O Savior, glory to you. So the incarnation, as we heard in the liturgical text, this is for Christmas Eve in the Byzantine church, the evening service, the compline service. We see that it raises up our nature. It raises everything up. This is how we know we should be good to the environment, how we know we should be good to one another, good to everything in this life, because everything in this life has been filled with the presence of God, and therefore it has an elevated nature. Your rock is not just a rock. A tree is not just a tree. In fact, every time I see a tree, I look at that and I think to myself, you, you of all plants, were chosen to be the instrument through which Christ would purchase salvation for us all. Isn't that amazing? Every time I see a tree, I think to myself, trees are sacred. Sometimes I have to cut down a tree in our church property. We have this beautiful prairie because I have to get rid of some things and trim some things. And I always feel bad in a sense because to me, every tree is sacred because they all come from that plant that was chosen by God 
to renew humanity. It was the instrument through which we fell, but it was renewed through Christ. So all creation is sacred. And this realization comes to us precisely because of the birth of Christ. In other words, his incarnation, not just his birth, but the birth means he became his creation, all of it, not just a human being. He entered into all creation. This is why in manger scenes, have you ever wondered why manger scenes are so complete? And especially in that magnificent Byzantine icon of the incarnation, of the nativity of Christ, we see every element of creation, even the heavens, the angels, the star from the heavens, the sky, people, rocks, trees, animals, water. It's all there. And that's saying to us that all things have been touched by the incarnation of God. So this is another emphasis in the Eastern liturgy during this Christmas time. The birth of the Christ child. Yes, we mentioned that. But we like to see it in its greater context. We don't linger just at the babyhood, as important as that is. It's essential, of course, and it's beautiful. But we don't linger there. The baby points our gaze beyond, even beyond the manger, to the whole of creation and to the fact that this baby would become a human being with a mission to save us. That's why in the Byzantine icon, Christ is depicted in the manger, but the manger looks like a sarcophagus, a tomb, and his face looks like a man, and he's wrapped, the swathing clothes that wrap him actually are burial wrappings. All these things point to the fact that he will grow up to become a man, they point to his mission. His mission was to become a man, grow up, suffer, die for us, and raise us up, rise from the tomb, from the graves, and raise everybody else with him. And that, of course, is our ultimate destiny, to be raised up from the tombs, reunited with our bodies at the end of time, and gloriously transfigured. And it's all hinted at there in the icon. So the incarnation is, is very comprehensive. It points to our origin and our destiny. We sing in the Byzantine church how Christ came to renew Adam, to restore our original beauty, and to take us beyond that. It's interesting, as St. Augustine says, oh, happy fault, meaning original sin. Not that we're happy or God is happy that we sinned, but because of that, as only God can do, he takes that sin. He incarnates himself into this sin-ridden body that we are as humans, and he takes it and he makes it into something that's going to literally mount us on the throne of heaven. So our original beauty is actually going to be taken to a higher place. Imagine, this is the payback God gave us for our our sin, our turning against him. Imagine that, the mercy, the love of God, that he pays us back for our insolence by granting us an even greater destiny, greater than our very origins, as pure and as great as they were. It's an amazing concept, isn't it? this love of God, this this great mystery of the Incarnation. The other emphasis in the Eastern churches for Christmas is the fulfillment of the prophecies, and we sing a lot about that. We hearken back to the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of the prophets and prefigurements of Christ and the Virgin Mary in the Old Testament, and we hearken back to say that these things are what is fulfilled in our time with Christ coming. So, 
we sort of read back in the whole of the Old Testament, and we see the meaning of it all by Christ's incarnation. Also, we connect Christmas and Easter. It's like one continuous cycle, Christ coming into the world, his birth, and then we move into the cycle of his suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, and then Pentecost. And there's a similar thread that moves through them. Listen to the words of the liturgy for December 28th in the Byzantine Church. We sing this at the Vespers. When the Virgin saw the Magi standing before the cave, she spoke to them in wonder, Whom do you seek? For I see that you have come from a far country. You have the appearance, but not the thoughts of the Persians. You have come with zeal to worship him, who journeyed as a stranger from on high, and who wondrously took up abode in me, in a way unknown only to himself. He grants great mercy to the world. This scene, it's really a narrative, a scene that we're singing here. Did it sound familiar to you? Did it sound like Easter? Listen to this verse. The Virgin Mary says, Whom do you seek? Isn't that exactly what the angels said to the women coming to the tomb at Christ's resurrection? Whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? Why do you look for the living one among the dead? He is not here. And they explain that he is risen, just as the Virgin Mary explains to the Magi in this liturgical text. You have come with zeal to worship him. It's like the women came to anoint him with zeal at his death. You have come to worship me, you who journeyed as a stranger from on high, and who wondrously took up abode in me, in a way known only to himself. He grants mercy to the world. Well, the angel said to the women coming to the tomb, go and tell the good news to the apostles. The good news about this mercy that has been granted to the world. So you see the similarity, how they're connected through the iconography and liturgical text? The very theology connects Christmas and Easter. There are many more aspects of the emphasis of Christmas, nativity of our Lord, the Incarnation, that are present in the Eastern Lung of the Church, in the Eastern Lung celebration of Christmas. And I hope that you will meditate upon the things we said today, especially upon your own ancestors, your own lineage, those people who were significant in your own life, and give glory to God, just as the angels did at Christ's nativity. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, ByzantineCatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.